Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I haven't had the chance to meet you yet. My name's Maya. Um, it's my pleasure to be a part of this church. I haven't picked a whole lot of water. That may prove to be an error. Hey, um, hopefully you've been tracking with us a little bit through this series we're doing, Trust in Trouble. Uh, if you haven't, you can catch up with them on them on, on YouTube. Uh, it's been a really great series. But I'm just kind of I'm just gonna I'm gonna dive straight in. Like we've been, yeah, we've been talking about some really good stuff. We've been talking about this uh, this promise that Jesus gives us, uh, which is one of the least popular. Uh, promises and often not preached about a whole lot, is that we should expect trouble. And that's kind of the assumption that we're, that we're coming to. And I don't know about you, but I have an ache in my heart for a life where things go well. There's a sense of sometimes like, this is, this is just not the way it was meant to be, you know. And you, you, have, you just, you want... You want things to be good. You want to be able to know what's going on. You want to be able to like be confident that you, when you go in the, I leave home in the morning, you come back at night, things are going to be have been okay. And often they are. Often, you know, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, your work is fulfilling, your children are happy, you are well, the people you love are well. Often that is how things are. But that is not always how things are. And in those times of trouble, whether that is uh, vocational trouble, trouble in your family, trouble in your health, all the different ways that things can go wrong. It's like, it's like the layers of pretense are peeled back and you can see, oh, this is actually how things are. I am not in control of very much. I actually, there's a whole lot of stuff that I've been leaning on that have, have proved to be a shaky foundation. And I, what I want to do today is um, to really delve into what does it mean to have a firm foundation. Maybe you're going to stir the pot a little bit, but hopefully you are up for that. So we love being able to explain things. We always want to be able to explain things. Is anyone, like, some of you parents, you can think of things that your kids, the reasons they've come up with for why things work, like early childhood science is hilarious. Uh, thankfully, they, they move on from that. And we think we should be able to explain things, and often we can. But then at times of crisis, we can't. Or things you go like, how does this work? So in John 9, Jesus is walking with the disciples through, um, they're just coming into the temple, and they come across this guy who's begging. He's, he's blind, and they know that he's been blind since he was born. And the disciples are talking to Jesus, and they're trying to figure out what's going on here. Now in their mind, it's got to be sin. It's clearly a sin issue. That's what they've been raised in, okay? Someone's got a disability, it's sin. And then what they're really wrestling with was like, who sinned? Was it, was it the parents who sinned beforehand? Because surely it couldn't have been like the baby, like in utero, while pregnant as a fetus sinned and so has been punished. So they're like, Jesus, who is it? Where was the sin? And Jesus makes it really clear. Like in the Bible, there's a whole lot of things that Jesus is not clear on. But he is very clear on this point. It is not a sin issue. And I just want to put that on the table for a start. When things go wrong in your life, it's often usually not a sin issue. 
especially stuff that comes out of the blue, you know, it's, it is not a sin issue. Jesus is clear on this. And he goes on to say this weird thing about how this thing happens so God's glory can be revealed. And like, what the heck does that mean? I don't know. PhD in theology has not helped me with that one. But we always push to explain, to make meaning. I reckon it's part of our humanness. It's a beautiful gift. But as with all things that are affected by the fall and by sin, it's distorted and disordered. And we make meaning of things in ways that hurt us, in ways that hurt other people. And I think especially in Western culture, we are so used to being able to explain things and to fix things. And so when we can't, it's like an existential crisis. But people who live in other parts of the world where life is insecure, where food supply is insecure, when you don't know what's going to happen with the army or whatever, they are much more able to roll with the twists and turns of life. But we've been raised, many of us, in a society where you think, well, I should just be able to make things happen and I should be able to explain it. Earlier this year, um, I sat with my mum in the neurosurgeon's office. She had a a brain cancer, which she passed away from in the beginning of May. And a few weeks before that, we sat there with him, and he said, "Um, I can't explain to you why the cancer in in this place in your brain is causing all these other symptoms that we didn't expect. I I can't explain it. We don't really know a whole lot about this. Um, But to be honest with you, even if we could explain it, wouldn't make a difference because we couldn't do anything about it. And it was like this, this really difficult confession from this man who was very proficient in all that he did. And you, I could tell that he'd had this conversation with a number of people because he was leaning us towards and I could see my dad was like, well, we've got to do more investigations. We've got to figure out maybe we could try this, maybe we could try that. We could put a shunt in. We could, you know, he's grasping to these options. But the neurosurgeon had to say, I can't, like, with all of my medical training and all of the understanding that is out there, we don't really know what's going on and we can't do anything about it. In a few weeks, um, I forget how long after that, she she went to be with Jesus. And, um, and it was, I think for me, it's particularly that moment of we, we can't explain this. Like, even on that medical level, let alone the whole, like, big stuff we can't explain, like, why do people get sick and why do people die and why does bad stuff happen? Uh, we, we so often expect that bad things shouldn't happen to good people. So when it does, we're like, whoa, what is even going on here? But that is not what God promised to us. He promised to us um, we should expect trouble. But so often we've built up these ideas. If you want a fancy word, your fancy word for the day is schema. And that's like the idea for like a structure of ideas, uh, like a meaning-making system that we build. And I want you to think about it like, a, like the structure of a house. You know when they're putting up the framing? There's this framework of ideas that we build up and we put weight upon. And sometimes the foundation that they're built on is not good. Because we have this belief, too often we have built our faith on the idea that um, if God loves us, then things are going to go well for us. And so when things don't go well for us, we're going, does God even love me? Like, do you, would, you be, would you agree that you've kind of picked that up? Especially those of you who've been in church for a while, you assume, if God loves me, he's going to bless me, things are going to go well for me. 
Yeah, so when things don't go well for me, maybe he doesn't love me, maybe he's not even real. But that, that whole train of thought there is not what God promised to us. Not at all, unfortunately. If you might be familiar with the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, hopefully it's going to come up. This is the blessed life. The poor in spirit, the mourn, the meek, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst. Down to the bottom, those who are persecuted. This is what hashtag so blessed actually looks like. No one is putting this on the gram. Hashtag so blessed got persecuted today. I'm mourning. Hashtag so blessed. Oh. But this is, this is like, oh, this is not what I signed up for. Do you ever think that? This is not what I signed up for, Lord. But I want to tell you that this is better. This is better. This is truer. This is more beautiful. It is better. We're going to unpack a little bit of how that is. But I want you to think about a, a little bit about, not just, we, a lot of this we've been talking about trust and trouble about for ourselves, but thinking a little bit about how we relate to other people. The kinds of things we do and we save, say to others. You know how when, you've probably been in situations, I expect, if you've been alive long enough, where things go wrong for people in your world. And we want to fix it for them, don't we? We want to comfort them. We want them to be okay. And so sometimes we come out with some like pretty awful platitudes. The old, everything happens for a reason. Like everything happens for a reason, as a phrase, works quite well when you didn't get the job that you wanted. Okay, you applied for a job, you had your heart set on it, Turned out they wanted someone else. Someone can say, everything happens for a reason. You can believe that because, okay, God's got other things in line for me. Makes sense. Everything happens for a reason does not work when your child dies. It just, it doesn't. But if we've been depending on, if we've had that structure, that framework of everything happens for a reason, we're leaning on that. Something catastrophic like your child dying happens. You lean on that framework and it's fallen over because it cannot bear that weight the weight of that suffering, this hashtag so blessed framework, uh, that just can't hold up. We say terrible things. I don't think anyone ever said this to me after I'd miscarried, but I've heard it. God must have needed another angel. Like, oh my gosh, what, like, don't say that. Like, does that mean, like, God's, like, short on angels? So he thought, you know, your little embryo, your little itty-bitty baby beginning. I might just take that one because I'm, I'm a bit short in the choir. Like, what? Don't, don't. Like, <laughs> but you say these things because we're just like, oh, you're hurting. I want to say something that's going to make you feel better. You know, there's that tendency, even if, you've, if you're a parent and a child is crying and you come, they come to you and you say, oh, don't cry. Don't cry. Why are we saying don't cry? Not to make them feel better. It's to make us feel better. Your tears make me uncomfortable. I would like it if you could stop expressing your emotions right now because that's hurting my emotions. Like, who's the adult in this situation? All the parents are like, oh no, we've done that. It's difficult. Like, I, so much of parenting is about managing my own emotions. Oh, it's exhausting. But often we do that, as your feelings are making uncomfortable. We want to explain away the suffering of other people. 
And thinking back to those disciples, looking at this, this man who'd been born blind, they're not engaging with him as suffering. They're not seeing him even as a person. They are walking along, they see him as a theological question. I don't understand what's going on here for this person. Who is the sin? But Jesus sees the man. He has an encounter with the man. And too often in our care for one another and our concern for one other, other people and suffering, we're just dealing with them as questions and not as persons. And we need to be present to people in that. And people don't need your explanations. You know, when you're in a, in a really hard place, I don't, I don't need someone who's going to explain it away for me. I need someone who's going to be present to me, who will be with me, who will sit with me, who will make space for my difficult emotions. And that's what we're called to, weep with those who weep. That's the kind of community we're called to. But far too often, Christian community has gone, oh, well, I'm going to offer you these ideas. And sometimes the ideas are terrible. Like, the reason that you're suffering this sickness is because you've sinned. Or if you had more faith, then you would be able to pray and God would heal you. If anyone ever says that to you, then the good reply, I forget the verse, should have looked it up, is to go, actually, it also says in Scripture that sometimes healing depends on the faith of the person who's praying for me. So you, you've obviously a person of faith. If you could pray for me, then maybe then I will get healed. That's a great, apparently Joni Erickson Tata um, said that to someone in a um, car park. It's a classic. There's things, there's a whole lot of things we say to each other. Um, I'll re- give you a, there's a, a great book I'll give you a reference to later by Greg Boyd called, gosh, what is it called? Da, 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 is God to Blame? If you want to ding this, okay, so if it's not my lack of faith, then what is it? Recommend that book. But I want to encourage you that Scripture gives us all the words to say every emotion to God. If you look at the Psalms, which is the songbook of the church, uh, there is words for, I am so low. I am in such dark despair. It feels like darkness is my only friend. There are words for, I am so angry. I so want justice and retribution. Well, it's not really justice. I want retribution. I want revenge. I would be happy if someone took their babies and committed violence against them. There is words for that in Scripture. Not saying, all oh, that is a good, and you should feel that, and 100% thumbs up. But like, if you've got that feeling, here are some words that you can use to speak that feeling to God. And he will listen to that from you. How amazing is it that we follow a God who will hear that kind of stuff from us, who will accept us even when our emotions are that gross and ugly. But do we accept that from each other? I think sometimes we're hungry for a sanitized spirituality where I can just praise God. Like 100% praise God in every circumstance. But let's enter into the difficult spaces with each other and sit there and then we will praise God together. Oh, do we allow that from each other? So like I said before, one of the key things about parenting, I'll take that away, is uh, about managing your own emotions. One of my other big learnings from my 30s was learning to manage my expectations. Expectation management, like, it's going to change your life. 
It's going to change your relationships, <laughs> learning to manage your expectations of other people. And I want to um, just delve a little bit to managing our expectations of God. Because like I said before, God, God never promised you that everything was going to go well once you started following him. He never promised you that if you regularly go to church, regularly read your Bible, regularly tithe, well, then everything's going to go well for you. This is, when we read the Bible, this is not what we see happening. This is often what we talk about in church. It's a little bit aspirational. Things will generally go better for you if you come to church more often, read the Bible, tithe, because you're just setting your life up in ways that you can avoid a whole lot of trouble. But there's a whole lot of trouble that you cannot avoid because you are a person was broken, living in a world of other broken people, and in a world that is in itself broken. And God has promised to fix and set right all of that brokenness. But that promise is not going to be fulfilled until Jesus comes back. We get glimpses of it now. We see people being made right and made whole and relationships fixed. We see miracles. I've experienced healing miracles that medically have no explanation for them. Sometimes. Often not, though. And we see glimpses, but the whole deal, that is not promised. This side of eternity. We are just, we're not in heaven yet. We're We're not in heaven yet. And, and I don't mean that as a, just a quick explain away of the suffering, because the thing is, the ache is in us, is for life as it was always meant to be. We were created for life in the garden. If you think back to Genesis, Adam and Eve, our first parents, what that life was like, it was a good life. People were so confident in who they were that they didn't even realize they were naked. It was clearly warm all the time. Imagine, imagine how good that would be. Oh my gosh. Looking forward to it. But that, that is not where we are at right now. But we have an ache for that. But that is not where we're at. And too often we expect that it is. And too many times I have blamed God for not meeting my expectation. When the issue was not with God, the issue was with my expectation. God never promised me that every pregnancy I conceived would come through to a full, healthy baby, a baby in my arms. God never promised me that. It's how it was meant to be. That's the world we were designed for, that we created for, the, the, the longing that we have within us, but that's not what we were promised. God never promised me that my mum was going to be healed of brain cancer. Didn't promise my dad who's got prostate cancer is going to be healed of that. I'm praying for it. I'm hoping for it. But I know that really I'm hoping, I'm hoping for resurrection. I'm hoping for new creation. I'm hoping for it. Funny anecdote. Um, Funny, maybe not funny, funny at the time. Um, So my mum had this brain cancer, which affected her balance a lot, but it started affecting a whole lot of other things, particularly her ability to find words and find the right words. And we were in this neurosurgeon's office, and he was talking about, like, we can't, there's nothing we can do. We're just waiting it out. My mum had a really strong faith, and... She was trying to say to the, um, the surgeon, you know, who's asking, trying to engage with her, really struggling to find her words. She's trying to say, really, I'm ready to die. I'm just waiting for Jesus to take me home. Like, would he please hurry up? But she couldn't find the words, and so she said, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for Armageddon. 
And he, the surgeon looks at me like, she's waiting to go home to be with Jesus. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, I get it. But like, okay, Armageddon, like, whoa, what are you, like a death metal band? What the heck? But then it's kind of like we're hoping for it. We're hoping for the reordering of all creation. He's going to set all things right. There is a time when there will be no more weeping, no more pain, no more suffering, no more darkness even. We don't even need a sun because God's light will be so bright. He will set all things to right, but it might take the reordering of all creation. He will do it though. But we're just, we're just not there yet. And I want to encourage you to really wrestle, like really, really wrestle with the idea of, of just kind of assessing, like, what are my foundations built on? What is the structure that I'm built on? You're probably familiar with the story, the parable that Jesus tells of, of two guys. One guy builds his house on the sand. Clearly did not get a building consent. He's built it on the sand. Not a good foundation. Another guy builds his house on the rock. It's a firm foundation. And when the wind and the waves come, the firm, the firm foundation stands strong, the sand foundation gets washed away, house crumbles. And too often, we've built our faith on a, on a shaky foundation. It might look good, but it's, it's not there. And um, the foundation is not always what church has told you it is. And I'm sorry, on behalf of the universal church of all time, to apologize to you on behalf of 2,000 years of church leadership for the way sometimes that we have given you the impression or we have said out loud from our mouths that if you do certain things, then things will go well for you. In every different era, in every different time, church leaders stuff this up in different ways. You know, we're not getting you to like pay money indulgences so that you can go and sin a bit more and get the fast forward through purgatory. But, but sometimes, I'll be honest, like Pentecostal churches, we have sold a bit of this hashtag so blessed life because we just want to talk about the positive. And not that we shouldn't talk about the positive, but it can't be the only thing, the only thing that we talk about. And I offer that as a, crit- as a critique and an apology from a person who deeply loves the church and deeply loves our church. But too often we have built our lives on something that is not biblical. And the, the, the challenge I want to lay before you then is like, are you reading your Bible enough? Or are we just listening to what we're hearing and listening to the bits that we're hearing that we like? I like the message that if I do certain things and things will go well for me. I like that message. My flesh loves it. But it is not biblical. Well, so, but, so why, like we've wrestled a little bit with it over a few weeks, but why doesn't God do the good things? There's a bit of, there's a mystery. You don't get to understand everything. We just don't get to. It's an extreme arrogance that says, I should get to understand. I should get to direct. I was really struck recently in reading through scripture. There's a couple of times where Jesus... <coughs> Whoa, are you awake? I'm awake now. Classic Sistema bottle. Um, so a couple of times that Jesus, this is Jesus, the son of God, says, I have no right to say. There's one point he does it, um, James and John, the, 
um, two of his disciples is, you know, up there, close ones, his, their mum comes to Jesus and asks for like a special place of honour. And Jesus says, I've got no right to say, I've got, I don't get to say this. I'm like, what? If anyone has a right to say, it's Jesus, King of King, Lord of Lords. But he, even he says that. So why do I think I get a right to say? Like, who do I think I am that I get to tell God what to do? Oh, ugh. So why, why does, what is, if you put up that quote from um, Greg Boyd that's in a creation populated stance. So this is from this book, honestly, recommending it. Put it in your bibliography. Um, in a creation populated with free agents, God doesn't always get what he wants. Augustine and the church tradition that followed him were simply mistaken when they insisted that the will of the omnipotent is always undefeated. I will translate, don't worry. Because God desires a creation in which love is a reality, he allows his will to be defeated to some extent. So we can often think that God always does what he wants. And he could. He could, if he wanted to. But what is more important to God is that we live in a world where we have freedoms. Because without freedom, without a free relationship, there's no real love. You know, like if you, if you could control your children, like if you had robot children, like they would behave perfectly all the time. But that would not be a loving relationship, would it? Okay, if you had a robot spouse, like they would be doing all the chores, clearly, but that would not be a real loving relationship. Okay, God wants love, more than he wants to get his own way. And that means that he has set up a world that has freedom within it. We have freedom. Even spiritual beings have some freedom. The world is chaotic. And sometimes cancer comes about and bodies and storms happen. And God will set all things to right, but not yet. We're not there yet. And it's, this can be quite challenging to think, oh, I thought God was in control. Like, he is ultimately in control, but he's not micromanaging us. Oh, but Christ is enough. I want to say to you that maybe we cannot trust all the things we set up about it, but we can trust that Christ is enough. We cannot trust our structures of making meaning, that framework that you've built up. We can't trust our explanations of why. Sometimes why is not even that helpful. But we can trust that God is good, even if from where we are standing, he doesn't always seem good, in the middle of it. Like Emma talked about last week, this idea of dialectical behavior therapy, where you can hold one truth and another, which seem opposite somehow. You can hold them together in tension at one time. Like this is uh, what maturity looks like, being able to hold two seemingly opposite ideas together at once. Pretty much I'd, I'd, like every theology lecture I give, I talk about that. It's just so, so crucial. But if you've built your life on the expectation that if you follow God, then things will always go well for you, that they'll always trend upwards, you are going to be disappointed. Proverbs 4.18, the way of the righteous gets brighter and brighter. I've heard that said, that things are always going to get better and better. No, 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 that's actually talking a whole lot more about wisdom, like closeness to God. And closeness to God does not guarantee you things going well. We love Hebrews 11. Except for those pesky verses in the middle about those guys who were tortured 
who refused to be released, so they might gain a better re resurrection. Jeers, flogging, chains, imprisonment, put to death by stoning, sword in two, killed by the sword, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Recently, just this week, I work at Laidlaw College, which is um, a new name for the Bible College in New Zealand. We're moving to a new campus in Auckland, and um, this week I was part of a ceremony where we uplifted some plaques of five martyrs that we have amongst our graduates and took them to the new campus. And in my mind, I was like, martyrs? Like, because we used to send out a lot of missionaries. That was our primary thing. People came, they studied, they went to mission fields all over the world. And I was like, oh, maybe they got like the plague in the Congo or something. No, all of these people were murdered before Christ. And I read their stories, I'm like, oh, that needed a trigger warning. But I was just really struck, like, these are the people that the world was not worthy of. But they died following Christ, and they're content with that. Like, they, if you go out, you had to, like, sign a waiver. We're not going to pay a ransom for you. They, we're going to let people kill you. How, does that, how do they get past that, HR-wise? I'm not sure. <laughs> not my problem. But in terms of our house, okay, house on the sand, house on the rock, I don't reckon it's binary. I don't think it's either or. I reckon it's a mix. If you looked at the house of your faith, some of it would be strong, it would be biblical, it would be solid. Some of it would be shaky, built more by Christian culture, just like the things that you see in your social media feed. You're yeah, like that, like that. And sometimes things come along, whether that is crisis and suffering or just you getting older and you realizing how things work and making observations, and they cause you to go, that foundation is not good. And sometimes that part of your house, it needed deconstructing in order that you might reconstruct it on something firm. Too often, though, we go, oh, the foundation's not good, the building's not good, pull it down. I've given up living in houses, going somewhere else, or I don't know. Maybe that bit needed deconstructing, but in order to reconstruct it on a firm foundation. And I, it's, it's a, a place we need to lean into that. We need to make space for people to lean into that. And that's something I love about this church, is that there is space here for you to ask difficult questions. We talk about difficult topics. It's, um, it's a gift. We, you, I don't know if you know how good you've got it here. It is it's real good. It's real good. But that faith, that house of faith, like what do I mean by faith even? We love that bit, the bit, Hebrews 11.1. Faith is confidence, what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. And often we apply that to, I have faith for a new job. I have faith for a healing for this illness. I have faith for financial provision. Like you might, you might have faith, but the faith that this is talking about here is faith in who God is and his faithfulness. Faith isn't always about reaching for more, expecting more, sometimes about sitting with what is. If you think about the people of Israel, as they left Egypt and they're wandering around in the wilderness and they know they're going to the promised land, we are people who live in the wilderness. We are not at the promised land yet. We might be destined for the promised land. That is where we are going and it is gonna be good. But we are still in the wilderness. And there's no point pretending that we're, we're not. Um, Kosuku Koyama, in a 
beautiful little book called Three Mile an Hour, God Says This. Wilderness, then, is the place where we are face-to-face with danger and promise. And that is an educational situation for the people of God. When danger and promise come together to us, it is called crisis. The Bible doesn't simply speak of danger. If it did so, the biblical faith would be reduced to a protection from danger religion. The Bible does not simply speak about promise. And if it did so, the biblical faith would be reduced to a happy ending religion. Let's pause there for a moment. How much of you sometimes thought that's what my faith is? Protection from danger, happy ending. Ah, something better promised. The Bible speaks about a crisis situation, the coexistence, so together at the same time, of danger and promise, wilderness. And there God teaches us. In the wilderness, we are called to go from protection from danger religion and happy ending religion. There we are called to trust in God. And just as the band comes up, I want to say to you that the God who is with you in the storm is better than the God who prevents the storm from ever happening. It's better even than the storm, the God who would pluck you out of it in the moment. But I'm better what I mean, like the sense of beautiful and true and kinder. His, I love the translation that Brian Simmons does of Psalm 42. My deep need calls out to the deep kindness of your love. If you weren't in a situation of deep need, there are depths of kindness that you could never discover. It's in the spaces of deep need. So if it's not made right yet, well, he's not finished. And that might not happen until Jesus returns. There's joy in the morning, but it might be that great morning. And it doesn't seem fair from where we're standing, I think, especially as people who are conditioned by Western culture to expect things to go well for us. But Jesus has promised the resolution. He's promised us his presence in the meantime. I want to read to you a chunk from Romans 8, from verse 18. Paul writes, Having been in quite difficult places, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's... Jesus coming back. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself, that's all of us, will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's what we're looking forward to. But right now, oh, right now the whole creation has been groaning. It's in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, the little glimpses, the beginning taste, but we groan inwardly. We ache because we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, that full, beautiful relationship with God. We wait for the redemption of our bodies because it's in this hope that we are saved. And hope that is seen, experienced right now, that's not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, and I like to skip this verse, but this is is 
He's framing it in this expectation. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Makes my life look very easy. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Sometimes our ways of making sense cause us to be disconnected. There's a distance because we're leaning on the wrong thing. Suffering is an invitation into deeper relationship with God. But when we're trying to make sense of suffering in our own ways, it actually distances us. And I just want to take a moment. If If you're here... Maybe you're listening online and and you go, oh, I I haven't started this journey with God. You, you're talking to me about a God whose whose love could I could never be separated from. Not anything I do. Well, the invitation to start that journey is here. And I just want us to take a moment now to to give it a space for response. So if you just want to close your eyes, just helps us focus and not distract each other. If you're here today and you want to make a decision to follow Christ. You think, this, this Jesus that you're talking about, I would like things to go well, but I think more than me, I want the ache in my heart to be met. If you want to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, or you want to make a decision to recommit your life to Jesus, you think, I've been living my life in such a way that I'm, I'm not following up on that commitment I made however long ago, and I want to recommit my life. If you want to put your hand up and give me a wave, and I'll know to pray for you. If you're feeling a, a burning in your heart, it's probably for you. See that hand? I'll pray with you afterwards, eh? Okay, open your eyes. I'm not seeing any other hands. I'd love to pray for you afterwards, though. Um, I think we sell ourselves short. Well, we might want the life where everything goes well and the sun is always shining. Deeper than that, we long for communion with God. And that is available to us. I think we sell ourselves short when we just get preoccupied with things going well for you. And and I'm not saying that as a diminishing of the reality of suffering. I'm I'm in a space of my life, a season of my life, where I feel well acquainted with grief. the invitation of God is to a depth of relationship that I value more highly. I think of my life at the moment in the space between having lost one parent and on the verge of losing another. And I feel like the experience of grief present and anticipated means that my whole life is like a thin place. We talk about thin places as where the, the space between um, heaven and earth, like it's, it's more permeable. I can get closer to God. I see Him more. 
just in the beauty of the everyday things. And that is a gift that I am grateful for. Not always, I'll be honest, but often. Why don't we just all stand? We're gonna sing a song together in a moment, but I just wanna pray for you. If you're in a similar space, where maybe you've been wrestling with some really hard things for a while, and maybe you think, gosh, they're objectively not that big things, but every suffering has its own weight. And there's like, there's just no point comparing things. So let's just take a moment prayerfully. I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up if you're like, my life is falling apart right now. It's a little exposing. I just wanna pray for you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we long, we long for the home that we were intended for. To walk, Lord, in the cool of the garden, in the cool of the day in the garden with you. And Lord, life here is beautiful in so many ways. Lord, but so many things, Lord, show us that this is not the world that we were intended for. God, we want to repent before you for the times, Lord, that we have blamed you for doing something that you never promised, for failing to meet our expectations. Lord, I'm sorry for the times when I have got really angry at you for not meeting my expectations when actually you offer something that is better. Lord, we, we stand together and, and pray together for those amongst us who are in the places of trial and trouble where suffering is present, where we weep as we go to sleep and we weep when we wake up. Lord, we hold these people, whether we can think of them or we just know they are amongst us, we hold them up before you. Lord, we bless them with your presence. Lord, help us to set our hearts on things above. Help us to see things rightly. Lord, help us to do the work of renovating the buildings of our faith, God, that they may be built on firm foundations. Lord, help us to love each other through that process. God, I ask that in this moment and as we go on to sing together, Lord, that we would hear your words of blessing spoken over us. Lord, not that thin, weak blessing that is just life going well, although we do want that, Lord. May we hear the words of blessing that are rich, that speak to the deep places in our heart that long for you, God. Help us to build our lives on firm foundations, Lord, to depend on you and not the only way that we try to make sense of things. Spirit, would you speak? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.